As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Groom Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It is Tuesday morning here in the DMV. The sun is out. Uh, there's no uh, rain at the moment, at least. Uh, and uh, everybody is happy in the DMV after the commanders got that opening game win. But there are some questions, of course, to ask about the offensive line. Sam Howe, what happened there on those six sacks? Is this something alarming or just a little bit of a blip? Nothing to worry about. What else do we think about the uh, the week one showing? Well. Who better to ask than the guy who used to have the job that Ron Rivera has, former Washington head coach Jay Gruden. Jay and I spoke a little bit ago about what he thought of Sam Howe, his guys that he had from his era, Deron Payne, Montez Sweat, John Allen. What did he think of their performance? Um, We also talked about that report that came out the other day from The Athletic about... um, Washington turning down a significant trade offer from the 49ers for Kirk Cousins back in the day. I say turned down. Well, actually, they didn't turn it down. They just didn't bother to respond. Um, Jay had some thoughts about that and a bunch more, including uh, how he sees the matchup this week against the Denver Broncos. In addition to that, every week during the season, I'm going to be talking with our friend Al Galdi the Al Galdi podcast week one I was on his home field this week Al came over to my uh field and we discussed you know some of the leftovers from the game but we also uh, sort of uh zoomed out a bit and discussed where things are going forward here um if there's more say pressure on Eric Bieniemy or Jack Del Rio right now not pressure in terms of Fired pressure in terms of what they have to do with their job and a whole bunch more for sure. So really excited for you guys to hear both of these conversations in a moment here on the standard room only podcast. Of course, hit that subscribe button. If you're on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you do your podcasting, if you're an iTunes person, really appreciate when you guys drop a, a, a nice rating and review. I, I think this is an episode that's going to warrant 
some praise. So I really appreciate that. It really does help the cause for sure. And of course, make sure to read my work on The Athletic. I have a story up today about those six sacks. Everybody wants to know, well, who's to blame? What's going on? I tried to look at the All-22 to see what to make of it. And it's a, um, as Ron Rivera himself said yesterday, it's not an easy answer to say it's this or it's that. It's a combination of things, but I try to get through what that combination was and, and where they can do better going forward. Um, some other notes here with regards to the team. They signed Jamison Cratter yesterday on Monday to the 53. Now, you might some people were asking me, well, what are you talking about? He played in the game. Wasn't he already on the 53? No, he was on the practice squad, elevated to the 53 for the game. This is now he's on the 53. He is officially one of the 53. They released William Bradley King in a corresponding move. Uh, King was brought up, Bradley King was brought up last week, in part with Chase Young out and James Smith Williams dealing with an oblique injury. They had some depth, even though he was actually, William Bradley King was actually inactive for the game, but I guess they had depth in case things went worse for Smith Williams. Um, I, I reported last week that Chase Young probably not back until week three. So I don't think this is an indication of anything about will about chase young status. Uh, they're going to ramp up him, his contact in practice though, Rivera said. So that's hopefully a good sign and hopefully he's back sooner than later. Uh, but yeah, Crowder is the punt returner for them. You know, I think he showed some wiggle out there, but uh, we will see what happens there going forward. And also, you know, I guess let's not dismiss him as a possible receiver. Uh, right now, you have, of course, Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dodson, Curtis Samuel, Deami Brown, plus Byron Pringle uh, and Mitchell Tinsley, who was inactive. Uh, if Crowder is the guy we've seen in the past, he could easily slip into the occasional rotation as a slot guy, but they don't need him there at this point. Um, other than that, you know, look, I just we'll talk more about Denver later in this week. Um, you know, I think I'm going to be curious, you know, as a reporter, you know, everybody's like, hey, you must be excited that the Dan Snyder situation is over. And yes, let's say yes. But it hasn't slowed down the pace of covering this team. You know, within days of the sale, training camp started and everything that goes into the training camp, you know, how does Sam Howe look and all these things. And then on top of that, you still had. You know, the new ownership group, they're trying to make their mark here. And obviously this past week was a pretty busy one. Josh Harris made himself available twice uh, in public settings, including on Friday, he spoke to local reporters. Magic Johnson was in town. He spoke Sunday. A who's who of, of former commanders, alumni, notable figures in the sports world showed up for this game. All that the first game without Dan Snyder, all these things now. It goes back to, we think, just a normal scenario. It's week two, fly out to Denver, get ready for that opponent, a new head coach in Sean Payton. I know I'm excited to sort of just focus on the football for now, tamp down a lot of these other things, and we'll see what it does what it does for, for the team as well. You know, even though they don't have the Dan Snyder distraction anymore, there was a lot going on. Several of the players were at uh, the pep rally. They had on Friday in DC. So, you know, all those types of things should be a little bit more normal. And I think that will benefit 
all of us would be my guess. Um, all right, let's get to this. We'll start with Jay Gruden, uh, and then we'll get to Al Galdi. Fun conversations and insightful ones on both ends. I think you're really going to like them. So uh, we'll do that right now. I'll just have go Jay into Al. So here we go. Uh, Jay Gruden, Al Galdi with me on the Standard Groom Only podcast. All right, for the first time in the 2023 season, we welcome back to the podcast former Washington head coach Jay Gruden. Um, before we get to the commanders and everything, did you you said you told me you watched the game, the, the Jets game last night? That was insane on a hundred levels. I I don't even know how to how the Jets fans are feeling today. Yeah, it's got to be uh, bittersweet for sure. You got the big victory at home opening night. Great crowd, but you lose your star, and uh, that's gonna that's gonna hurt later on or the rest of the year for sure. I mean, when when these guys had Fitzpatrick go out in the second quarter of the first game, that was uh you know brutal. But it's not Aaron Rodgers. They, you know the, the the entire NFL world has been discussing Aaron Rodgers to the Jets. The hard knocks all about. Aaron Rodgers to the Jets. Everything is about Aaron Rodgers to the Jets. So for that to happen in week one, oh, wow. I mean, that has got to be unbelievably devastating, even if I don't know how they won that game, um, but they managed to come back. Do you, what's the, do you recall sort of a week one moment for you where you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe this just happened? Well, it was when Alex got hurt. That was a bad one. That wasn't week one. That was week 10, but we're six and three at the time. And we're pretty good playing good football at that time. And then the next week, Colt McCoy goes down. So that, that's that's my correlation to what happened last night. It doesn't happen, matter when it happens in your season. Obviously, earlier, I guess, would be better so you can adjust. But, uh, yeah, it's never when – when your star player goes down, the NFL is all about your stars. Your star players have to be on the field. You don't have many of them. You have some good players, but you don't have many stars. No stars got to play. And if they don't play, you're in for a long season. I've always said that, like, of all the main sports, I think there's no argument the NFL is the most popular. But I think as a game, as a concept, it's also the one that's the most flawed because of the fact that the one position is overly dominant. Like, the NBA, it doesn't matter what position it is. You lose a position, you can figure, you know, that doesn't matter. You lose a position in hockey or baseball, that doesn't matter. The NFL, you lose your your starting quarterback, I mean, your chances of success drop so much. And like, I don't know what the Jets are going to do. I mean, I guess I'll hope Zach Wilson succeeds. But beyond that, what are they doing? Signing Carson Wentz, yeah. Nick Foles? Well, it depends on the it depends on the player too. You know, I, you can get away with losing your quarterback if he's a you know a below average guy. But if he's a star like Aaron Rodgers, and then your tier drops to Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson was a top draft pick, so it's not like they're cupboard is empty so at least they have a shot he's a good player he's athletic but you know he's got a long way to go in his development for a 17 game season to win and get them in a playoff push defensively they have a chance but to replace a guy like Aaron Rodgers is difficult you can't really do it overnight um in the context of not injury but just how week one is crazy obviously this was the extreme because of the injury but there was a lot of weird results this week I mean just like looking at the AFC you would say going into the year Kansas City, Cincinnati, Buffalo, probably the three favorites. They all lose. Um, obviously, Washington had a curious game. They win. That's what matters the most. But they didn't exactly look dynamic in a game against the team everybody's pegging to be the worst. Is week one just one of those, like, survive and advance games? You just almost kind of don't know as much about what's going to happen uh, because it is the opener? 
Yeah, for sure. And there's a lot of things that, you know, the teams are going to throw at you brand new that you haven't seen before, you haven't prepared for. It's not about, it's it's all about playing good, sound offense and defensive football, getting a victory, coaching it up, and then moving on to the next week. So not everybody played good. I saw teams with great rosters. Cincinnati, I saw, you know, have three unbelievable receivers, an excellent quarterback, and they throw for 80 yards. T. Higgins doesn't even catch a ball. So it happens early in the season with a lot of players, a lot of good players, a lot of good teams. It's just a matter of playing good enough defense to keep yourself in it and winning at the end like Washington did. Where did you uh, watch it? You Last year you were uh, the king of the sports bar. Did you do that again or uh, or did you get like a YouTube thing at home? Or do an NFL ticket? What would you do? Well, I went to a sports bar in Brambleton or Ashburn, whatever. It was a good time. You know, the, Ashburn, the bar I usually went to didn't couldn't afford the Sunday ticket, so we had to make a change uh, last minute. So, uh luckily we did that but it was it was good got to watch all the games at once and a lot of good ball a lot of bad bad ball yes uh, a lot a lot of bad ball so when you uh, so now that it's a different bar you walk in jay gruden and people go wait a minute i know that guy did you get like recognition people want autographs or anything or they leave you be i think a couple pictures here and there not many people like me so it doesn't matter but i stay in my corner and just watch the games with my kid and uh have a good time I think people, I think people like you fine. Uh, by the way, before we get into, because obviously I want to get your view of Sam Howell and and the offense and you know the game overall. Obviously, since we've talked to you last, there's been a little bit of a change around here. Obviously, new ownership. Just start start there. What have you kind of made of you know since you're still around town? What have you kind of made of everything that's happened here the last few months and just sort of the change for the organization and the vibe in town? I just think it's a refreshing change. It's something the place needed drastically. You know, I think there's a lot of uh, bad stuff coming out of the building. Um, and it's 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 not good for the coaches. It's not good for the players. It's not good for the fans. You need positive energy. Your owner should be there for support to help the coaches better, to help the players get better, to give them what they need, provide them with they, what they need with loyalty, uh, good sound decision making. And they have that now. So uh, it's a great change for everybody. Whether this season turns out to be a playoff run or not, I still think it's a great change for everybody in Washington. I've been saying that maybe in the history of the world, I'm slightly kidding at that, but at least in the history of the world that doesn't involve genocide, let's just say, there can't be a bigger 180 to go from the recluse owner who had all this negative thing to Magic Johnson. (laughs) It was like the most positive, popular athlete we've had for the last however many years and he's just a, a smiley happy guy everybody wants to be around I, you can't have a better i mean that's a, that's the perfect example of how things have changed i think over the last you know a few months yeah for sure i mean it, it, it is a 180 and it's something that had to happen for this organization moving forward i don't think they could have mustered another year two three years with all the negativity surrounding all the lawsuit whatever it's going on off the field it's just every day you open up the paper and it's something different. Now you have Magic Johnson smiling, taking pictures with everybody. Josh, doing, Josh, uh, he's doing a great job of getting himself out there. Um, so it's just going to make Ron Revere's job a lot easier. It's going to make the team feel good about coming out. And the fans came out in droves and it was a great, it looked like it on TV anyway. It looked like it was a great uh, show for everybody. You haven't been back to a game, right? I assume not since. Uh... Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. No, no, no. That's too far of a drive, man. I I, I didn't like going to that game when I coached there. I hated that bag stadium. Uh, I get home like so late. You know, night games were miserable. They, they took years off my life, but 
Um, definitely a fan of the team now, I, for sure. I'm hoping they they can get some wins and love watching Duran and Jonathan Allen and, and Sweat play. And um, they dominated the game, which you're going to have to do uh, the rest of the year. They're going to continue to play great defense to allow Sam Howell to develop and, and win some close games. And then hopefully he just continues to get better and better. Uh, yeah, the the, uh, the last three years between COVID and them not being good, it hasn't been hard for people like me to get to the game. I think that's about to change. Certainly, I, I made a point of getting to the game even earlier. I got to the game at 9 o'clock this weekend because I was like, I don't know what's about to happen, and the traffic is horrible. Um, so, yes, I appreciate uh, I appreciate your view of that. By the way, in terms of just how things are different, like RG3 came back, first time he had been back voluntarily since he left. Same thing with Champ Bailey, who was traded forever ago. So next, you know, I don't know if it'll be today, tomorrow, or like you said, maybe never, but, you know, that'll be the next time we get Jay Gruden back in the building. Yeah, sure. If I'm welcome, I'd go back. Maybe I, I might go back for a game. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think I think everybody if they play the Rams later on. I can see Sean McVay, or if they play the Vikings later on, I can see Kevin O'Connell. Maybe somebody that I know, I'll go check them out. Well, the Rams game is in L.A., so that's a good excuse to go to L.A. If you, uh... I'm staying out of L.A. as well. <laughs> well. I mean that that that's the game on the schedule I have I've circled, but not for reasons like revenge. For reasons like, oh, I want to go to L.A. Um. Well, you know, I obviously we're going to talk about the offense, but you mentioned the defense. Let me just start there. Uh, as good as they were last year, watching the game, I didn't always feel like they were a dominant force, like as if like they didn't, the game didn't turn on their play, whether it's for a series or a quarter or a half or anything. And I'm not saying they didn't play well. I mean, they got three and outs. They led the league in, uh, you know, third down conversion percentage, things like that. But in terms of actually taking control of the game, it didn't feel like they did. I thought they did set on Sunday. That that second half stretch that were, you know, were sweat and pain and Allen really started to turn the game around where they forced us to get the strip sack. It felt to me like that was when you get all these first round picks on the line, that that was what you're expecting um, was what we saw in the second half out of those guys. Yeah, I agree. That's what's got to happen. Those guys are good enough to do that. That's the beauty of it. It's not like it was a fluke. I know Arizona's not very good on offense. They got a quarterback that just got there a month ago. Uh, they're going to play much better offenses every week from here on out. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but they have the ability to do it. They have power to stop the run. They have speed to rush the passer. And they can make life's miserable for, life miserable for quarterbacks that they play. And they have to. They have to uh, turn the ball over. They have to create three and outs. They have to get the Sam Howell good field position in the offense and and win some close games here. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I think Montez Sweat, I mean, it's he's been on the verge of having a big year pretty much every year. It just hasn't quite happened in terms of sacks. Not that he's getting two or three, but, you know, he hasn't had quite had that breakout year where you say, hey, he's a pro bowler. And I've been saying, I think this year, from what I've seen in camp and everything, that this is that year might help that it's a contract year. And we saw what that did for Deron Payne uh, a year ago. And and uh, I think I, I'll give Deron Payne a lot of credit too. I, I'm not saying it was thought he would automatically take a slide back because he got the big deal, but we do see that, right? We do see guys, see guys like, okay, I got paid. Let me uh, yeah, take Deron's take... not Deron's not that way. Deron's not going to do that. Deron's yeah. a great competitor. He's going to work hard in the weight room. He's going to get his body ready to play every week and he's uh he's a he's a force to be reckoned with i'm glad they kept them they needed to keep them um overall with the defense obviously like you said you know you because of what the cardinals did they cut your boy colt mccoy two weeks before the season i think we were all 
waiting to see that that matchup. Um, so maybe Arizona is not the best test, but what did you think of the defense overall uh, against uh, against that opponent? I thought they played great. They gave up the one big play on the reverse. For the most part, they kept plays in front of them. They tackled well. They rushed the passer. They stopped the run. You know, I think uh, uh, overall you got to give them an A, right? They turned the ball over. They they kept the offense in the game um, when it was ugly, and they got the turnovers when they needed to. They flipped the script. You know, when, when Sam Howell fumbled for the touchdown, you could see people kind of hang their heads a little bit, but not the defense. The defense came out and put it on their shoulders to make some things happen and allow Sam Howell to get the ball back in, uh, have that scramble touchdown to take the lead. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see that secondary. I mean, there's a lot of in- interesting talent there. They're just not a lot of guys. They're all young. I think I keep joking. I think Kendall Fuller might be the only one who can rent a car. <laughs> um, so, you know, we'll see what they do. But, you know, Cam Curl was, was a factor. Again, Emmanuel Forbes has looked good all summer with his ability to anticipate um, on throws coming his way, Benjamin St. Juice, I think, is arguably their best defensive back right now. So um, it's going to be interesting to see. I think I still have questions at linebacker for sure. I don't yeah. know what I don't know if you could tell, see anything from Cody Barton. That's or Jamie the same Davis. questions I had going into the season was linebacker play. But their defensive line is so good up front, they should free them up that the linebackers run freely. That's the beauty of Payne and Allen is it's it's hard uh, it's hard to double team them and then get off and get up to the linebacker because they're so strong and they can penetrate the gaps so quickly and disrupt the running game so much. So that helps the linebacking play quite a bit. If you're, if your defensive line are just getting pushed back and the linemen are getting up to your linebackers, they'll struggle, but that's not going to happen with Washington. Payne and Allen are too good. It, it, you know, we see te- like their base defense now is a four, two, five, but they were also playing some six defensive backs and they have, and they also at times have played five defensive linemen, especially to say Chase Young comes back. Mm-hmm. You've got four, and then you've got some other guys can fit in. Is there a world where five defensive linemen and six defensive backs make sense for them? If you view it as they're better, that that's where their best players are, or is that just too extreme? Uh, yeah, that, there, there could be if the defensive backs can tackle and run because you know they're going to have to be and run support. So that's the only downfall, so to speak, but in pass coverage, it works out great. Um, you know, the five defense alignment will eat up the five offense alignment and, and, uh, you know, provide very good pass rush and known passing situations. Um, but yeah, it's still, you're limited to six guys in coverage, which sometimes puts you light. So you want to get seven guys in coverage more, more often than not, uh, having five defense alignment, unless one of them drops, you're relegated to fire zones or man coverage. Yeah, I mean they have done that sometimes with, with with Montez, but obviously I don't think you want him dropping into coverage uh, too much. So um, yeah, They're trying I, to defeat the purpose, right? One hundred percent. I mean, I'm somewhat exaggerating when I when I say that. It's just you know they have on paper six defensive backs that could start or close to it if if Percy Butler keeps playing, and we know about the line. So and the linebackers being what they are. A lot are. of people play dime. They'll play four defensive linemen, one linebacker, and six DBs. You know, New England does that a lot. There's a lot of teams that do that, especially when you have good defensive backs that are physical um, and can, can play in the run. Run fits are critical when you're going to play that because, you know, as an offensive play caller, they're in dime. You want to try to get to some inside zones. You want to try to get some outside zones or whatever, make these uh, little guys tackle. Um, if they can tackle, then it's a good, it's a good personnel group to use because you yeah. can do so many different things in coverage. Yeah, they had five defensive players play every snap, four four DBs and Cody Barton. So yeah, I mean the the idea of keeping a linebacker on the field is going to probably happen, but uh, nonetheless, also he's got the 
the green dot thingy. So I guess you're going to have to keep uh, yeah, keep him out there. <laughs> um, well, let's go to the offense. I'm, I'm sure this is uh, something you're, you want to talk about. I guess before we get to how, so much has been made about Eric Bieniemy and what does his presence mean? Um, I keep pointing out because so many people just want to say, hey, what a great addition. And I'm like, cool, maybe it is. He's also never called plays full-time before this. And it's obviously, we don't know what that means. That's the whole reason why people have questioned what, what you know, he leaves Andy Reid, what happens. From that perspective, to the degree that you could tell, watching, I assume, primarily on television, what did you think of the offense and the plan and the play calling and things like that? Well, he came out aggressive, that's for sure. Um, obviously, he wanted to utilize his best players, and that's, in my opinion, the three wideouts. Try to get some play action passes, try to get some balls down the field. Unfortunately, uh, it didn't work out early. Um, had some sacks, had some turnovers. I think the offensive line player is a little disappointing, I would say. But at the end of the day, when everything settled down after the second turnover, they did utilize Brian Robinson a lot more. Uh took some pressure off Sam Howell. And when Sam had to play, he made some plays and, and got the big victory. But I still think moving forward, people want to say, hey, we got to run the ball more and more and more. You know, you do have three excellent wideouts. You got to get them the ball a little bit as well. So it's going to be a tough uh, dilemma for him moving forward. You don't want to be a run, run, third and eight guy for Sam Howell. That's not what you want to do. You still want to be balanced. You want to work your RPOs, your play passes on first down to try to get second and short, try to get some splash plays for this offense. But you also have to err on the side of, hey, we got to protect them and get Brian the ball. There's a fine line there, and, and I'm sure he'll figure that out more and more as the season goes on. I uh, I, I don't want, you know, like people get can accuse me of being negative at times, and I swear I'm not trying to be. But I do have this question. Like, I'm always a believer that if I'm putting a roster together, and it's not like you have a blank page, you can do whatever you want, you have to – factor in salary cap and the draft picks and what's available and talent and whatever. But like, to me, if I'm going to be overly weighted in one of these areas, I would rather be overly weighted on the offensive line than I would at receiver. Now they have three really good receivers in Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, Curtis Samuel, and De'Ami Brown is promising, et cetera. But their offensive line is gone way down from when you were coaching and had Trent Williams, Brandon Scherf, um, and, 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 and others. But is that, is that, proper thinking in today's nfl or is that the way passing is screw it get as many receivers as you can and go from there where because i just feel like that's sort of their roster problem right now is i think the offensive line they just don't they haven't invested in it enough and that may be the achilles heel i i think yeah i think they probably tried it's just offensive linemen don't grow on trees and then when you get a good one you're going to keep them and when you go to the free agent pool usually there's something a red flag about them an injury passed or uh, something personal about them, and it's hard to, you know, go sign a guard for $15 million or a tackle for $25 million if he's, you know, 35 years old or what have you. So they really got to try to do the best they can and and maybe find a free agent at the end of the year or getting better through the draft, and they got to they gotta invest in them in the draft. You know, the issue is, is defense will want some guys in the draft. They might need another corner, another linebacker. You know, you know, they might need another back. You know, if you see a splash back out there to draft, you might want one quarterback. Obviously, they might be looking at. So there's a lot of issues. It's hard to um, find these guys, you know, offensive linemen. That's why, you know, we took Morgan Moses in the early. We took Spencer Long. We took, you know, we took uh, – um, we had a lot of – Larivas. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So that's where we developed them. And obviously, we had the best left tackle in the history of the game. We just let walk out the door for some reason. Um, that was really smart. 
But yeah, it, it's a very tough position to find. There's not many good ones that are in the league that are going to go to free agency. So you got to do it through the draft. You know, it's funny. Every time I talk to you, there's always the history always comes back up. You just mentioned why did why did Trent Williams walk out the door for nothing? Did you see the report this week? And maybe and maybe this is already kind of known to a degree, but Mike Shanahan said that the Niners tried to get Kirk Cousins and they were offering the number two pick overall in whatever year they had the pick. And Bruce Allen just didn't return the phone call. Yeah, I kind of knew that. We would have got more than that. We would have got a lot more than that from San Fran. How does he not return the call? It's one thing to be like, eh, but like, how do you? Because it's the Shanahan's. They they had a, you know, when coaches get fired all the time, right? It's it's part of the business. You don't have to like drag the people down and fire them and, and have bad blood. I mean, it just happens as part of the business. There was a lot of bad blood between the Shanahan's and, and Bruce and Dan for some reason. I don't know what happened. Uh, but yeah, so they did not want to give Kirk to the Shanahan's. That wasn't going to happen. I mean, that is the definition of cutting off your nose to spite your face. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, especially knowing how it turned out. It's not like they signed Kirk to a five-year D extension. They yeah, let him go for nothing, good too. news coming out of that, I think, I don't know, the quarterbacks in that draft haven't panned out, so that's the only silver lining. But we could have got two ones, I think, and two twos, in my opinion. But who knows? Uh, that's all in the past, and here we are. Don't you love it when all of us talk to you? We just bring up everything that we happened. Did get a third round conditional draft pick for Kirk, though. I mean, who's thrown for a zillion yards up here at Minnesota? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, a fair, that's a fair return, considering. All right, well, all right. Well, well uh, I apologize for bringing you back to some of those bad days. Uh, let's talk about what happened here, Sam Howell. Just broadly, what did you what did you think? I don't know how much you watched of him in preseason, but what do you think about uh, his first real game? You could say game with real stakes, at least. Yeah, I think uh, struggled early. Um, obviously, there's a lot of issues, a lot of nerves probably going through him. Some, you know, some things weren't there, um, two turnovers, but I love the way he bounced back. He's a tough guy. He, he actually reminds me a lot of Heineke that they had last year. Um, he reminds me a little bit of Gardner Minshew. They're, they're not overly big, but they can move around in a the pocket. They make plays with their legs. Um, they're going to have some plays where you scratch your head from time to time, but I think the players really rally around them. They like to have him because he's a competitive guy and uh, he's a tough guy. So he should get better moving forward, but they do have to protect the ball, obviously. Um, and they have to understand that it's okay to punt with this defense. And it was very similar when Alex Smith was our quarterback and we were six and three, you know, he, he might choose to check it down a little bit more. People wanted him to throw the ball down the field, but we played field position game. We punted. We, and Tressway was incredible at backing up people and making teams go 85, 90 yards. We'd get the ball back, get another shot with good field position and, and win some close games. And I think that's got to be the recipe. Yeah, no, for sure. You, you there's a lot of teams like that right now. I mean, there's a lot of teams that are saying the exact same thing. Pittsburgh's got to go to that mentality right now. And there's, there's some teams and the Jets are going to go to that same mentality right now. There's a lot of teams with some pretty good defense with questionable quarterback play that have to play good defense, protect the football, and win close games. Um, yeah, no, for for sure. You know, you mentioned, and I think, I, I think the hope was at least from the fan base and probably from the team. You mentioned that Hal's got a lot of Heineken and with the grit and the mobility, and he's not the biggest guy. I always been said. That like Heineke and Wentz, if you sort of merge them together, you would kind of come up with Sam Howe because he's got the big arm like Wentz, but that Heineke doesn't have. The downside is he also has the same thing that Wentz had, where 
He's unwilling to just get rid of the ball. He thinks that you can make the play. There's some play to be made and he holds on to it too long. That I, something I noticed throughout the summer. It seemed to be in play in week one with some of the sacks. But he's a young guy, right? Is yeah. that one of those things that you can sort of, you know, beat out of a young quarterback? And if or is that one for some guys that just really doesn't happen? You don't want to beat him. You don't want to beat it out of him because you do need his ability to make plays off schedule. That is a critical component of football quarterbacks nowadays. Uh, the true drop back quarterbacks are hard to find, and they're not that they're they're not productive at a young age. Um, you need to have the a mobility. You see Jalen Hurts, what he does with his legs, the quarterback design runs and and getting out of the pocket, and obviously Lamar and some of these other teams that are got quarterbacks that are athletic. Um, it takes a lot of pressure off Eric Bieniemy. You call a play that's covered, and then he scrambles around and finds an open guy for 15, 20 yards and gets the first down, gives you a new set of downs. That is critical. Uh, so you don't want to beat it out of him, but you do have to understand, Sam, that uh, your decision-making is going to make us win or lose games. So he's got to keep that in the back of his mind and, and don't make a bad play worse than throw it away when he has to. Yeah. I, I You know, I, the theme with Sam Howe this year is he's doing a lot of I, – I've been impressed with how he's kind of cleared the basic hurdles that he had to throughout the summer, just as a young quarterback, right, um, and all that. But his success, his growth – could be there all on the way, and it's still not be enough for a team to get where they want to go above 500. You know, you kind of have to figure Rivera and his staff need a successful year, and that's why I kind of wait. It's just bad timing, I guess, but that Howe wasn't given this chance maybe earlier in the Rivera era when there's always pressure, as you know, but it's maybe a little bit different than it's your fourth year and you haven't had a winning record yet. Yeah, you know, I think – uh they would have to see something in practice that Sam was throwing the ball better than Heineke and Wentz. And uh, maybe that didn't happen. Maybe it did. Maybe they just chose to go to the veteran because they were still in the playoff hunt. You know, they they had to put their best player forward that they thought would win each week. So I don't fault them at all for that because they were still in a competitive situation uh, at that time. Um, you know, when they chose to play him late in the year, gave him an opportunity. At least they got an opportunity. They beat Dallas and they showed that, hey, he could be our quarterback. Let's give him a chance in the offseason. Let's uh, try to upgrade some positions around him and, and see what he can do. And that's where they're at right now. Um, well, we know he's got playmakers and then, you know, hopefully the line can get a little bit better. I, I went back and looked at the six sacks and, you know, it's not all the offensive lines. How, as I said, held onto the ball a bit much. Some of it was just sort of a couple plays where maybe bad luck. Logan Thomas, not on the offensive line, but a blocker as a tight end, kind of let a guy get past him. So it's not, it's it's a combination of things, and you know it's game one. Hopefully they can um, move through that. Um, I have a, sort of a weird question for you. You mentioned earlier Deron Payne, John Allen, Montez Sweat. Those three guys, along with Terry McLaurin, probably the four best players on this team. They were all acquired under your administration. Rivera had a quote the other day because obviously we're all talking about is this going to be his last year? Perhaps he said this to ESPN the other day. Quote. Um, about his future. He's like, quote, I don't worry about that. If we go 8-8-1 eight, eight, and one this year and he, and he, the new owner, fires me and next year they win the division and 40 of the 53 players we drafted and it's the same quarterback, I'm vindicated. Send me my Super Bowl ring. That's the way I look at it. The four best players are on this team are from you, your era. So if, if Kendall, what, Kendall Fuller, too. Yeah, Kendall Fuller, too. They reacquired him, but yeah, so the guy yeah. that you had... Do you feel like, obviously they haven't had the success, but 
if they did have success this year, let's just say they really did have a big year, would you feel somewhat of the same considering, again, the best players on the team are, are still from your era? It's been four years now. No, no, this is – I think uh, coaches make too much into that, really. I think it's it's your team when you're coaching it, and it's not your team when you're not coaching it. You know, I, a lot of people said – Oh, hey, John Gruden won a Super Bowl with Tony Dungy's team. It's, it's it's really stupid to say that because John made a lot of adjustments at the offensive side of the ball and did some great things, some coaching decisions. Nobody said that about Tony Dungy. He went to Indianapolis. He had Peyton Manning and Edger and James and Reggie Wayne and Marvin Harrison and Dwight Freeney and, and Robert Mathis. But anyway, you're the coach. It's It's your team. If you're not the coach, you're a fan just like everybody else. All right, fair enough. I still think it is. I mean, look, obviously those guys are really good, and three of them were first-round picks, so you would hope that they would yeah. play well. But it is I'm funny that I'm definitely proud of those guys, and I root for them. That's you know, it was hard to root for them last year with everything that was going on, but this year now that uh, a lot of new things are going on, I, I pull for them like crazy. <laughs> um, I bet. Um, did you have a chance to watch the Denver game? I have not watched it yet. Did you have a chance to catch any of that? Because that's who they play. Yeah, right? I was watching part of that too. Yeah, I didn't get to watch it like play by play, but I was watching a lot of it. So it seems like from what I gathered that they were moving the ball officially early, but Russell Wilson just never threw the ball down the field. And ultimately, I guess the Raiders offense did enough. Was there anything that stood out to you about what we might see in this game this week? I think it's going to be very similar to what happened against Arizona. I think uh, the, the Arizona uh, t- uh, Washington game, the Denver uh, Raider game, um, the Jet Bill game, these are all going to be similar type ways that these games are going to be played out. You're going to play great defense. Somebody's going to have to make a play, a big play here and there. Penalties and turnovers will be critical. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, they can go up to Denver and, and win the game because I think they can handle the offense. Uh, our defense can handle their offense. I just, you know, we just got to make sure Eric Bieniemy and, and Sam Howell are patient and uh, try to hit a couple big plays and, and punt when they have to and play great defense. Well, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, if they were to win that game, not putting the cart before the horse, but they win that game, come back week three against Buffalo. Clearly, Buffalo is still one of the better teams in the league, but they were pretty miserable uh, yesterday against the Jets after Rodgers went out. They should have pulled away. It felt like they just decided. Zach Wilson's never going to lead them down the field. So we'll just, I don't know, but Josh Allen was just going to be overly aggressive. So I'm not saying Washington would be favored to beat the Bills, but maybe it doesn't feel as scary as it did. And, uh, you know, you go from there. Yeah, I mean, turnovers will get you. And Josh Josh has turned the ball over a lot. That's uh, what happens. And that's what, you know, it's a good learning thing. You know, that's something Sam Howell should watch is, is a guy like Josh Allen. You know, sometimes he gets a little too reckless with the ball. He thinks he's can fit balls in windows that he shouldn't throw. He thinks he can run people over that he shouldn't try to run over. But he has had a lot of success doing that. It's just hard to coach guys that that's the way they play. You can't say, Josh, don't scramble anymore. Protect the ball. Throw it away. Most of his big plays come off off schedule plays. So uh, I don't know what you do as a coach there. It's very difficult to reel these guys in. But those guys have to understand that the success of the franchise is on their shoulders and the decisions they make when they're outside the pocket and within the pocket. Got it. Um, Jay, pleasure to talk as always. Tell it, but you are, you know, now that you are uh, part of this media contingent, you've got things going on. Where, where can people hear you if they want to hear you uh, on a more regular basis? Well, I'm on every Monday with Chris Russell at three and Grant and Danny at five. And then uh, I do some stuff for the 33rd team. And uh, something with my son, um, JJ, JJ Gruden. He's got his own Twitter stuff. So 
I don't know. I'm all over the place. You have not really embraced Twitter yet. You have an account, but I don't even think I have an you... account. I just don't know how to. J... My son JJ set it up for me, um, but I don't know how to log into it yet. <laughs> it's been a year. I, I just, I just don't like the fact that people are going to go in there and, and rip me. I'm afraid I'm going to like be on that thing all day. Who is this guy? <laughs> so you know. Well, you can set it up so you can mute basically everybody except for the people like you follow the presumably people who won't do that to you. Um, so you can do that and then just don't look at the comments, which is a, a good advice for for everybody. Comments will kill you. If you ever uh, want to be humbled, read comments. Oh, I, I can't. Want, I want to turn into one of those comment writers. Those guys are geniuses, though. They they can really rip your heart out, man. They're they're really good. They they they, they can be brutal. Uh, it's it's amazing i mean i can get an article or a tweet and have people say nice things one jerk says something and it's it ruins my hour uh, it's 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 awful <laughs> that's why i try not to look but it's it's you know it, it's tough um all right cool well we'll go we'll go check all that out i don't know how you deal with chris russell every week i i kid but because i love but uh that's a whole other story uh jay appreciate it great insight as always and uh yeah we'll talk soon all right thanks ben all right, uh, joining me here as he's going to do every other week throughout the season with me going on his podcast in the alternate weeks is the guy who is the host of the Al Galdi Show podcast. What what a shocker that Al Galdi is hosting the Al Galdi podcast. Um, how did that work out? Did you uh, make yourself a deal you couldn't uh, turn down? The uh, naming rights issue with that was uh, really extreme, and it was not easy, and uh, it took a lot of negotiating, but I was able to get those rights finally. So, yes, uh, it was definitely uh, a task, but I was able to accomplish it. You, can you, well, What's the deal with naming rights for podcasts like yours? You're an independent guy. You can do whatever you want. Can you be called the uh, Al Galdi podcast brought to you by Pool and Weed Eater? Like, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, you know, if Poolin Weed Eater wants to pony up, absolutely. Uh, yeah, you know, when it started, I thought about, like, okay, what do you want to call it? And I was like, you know what, let's make this simple and easy so it'll be hopefully easy to find. I mean, I don't have a name that I can do, like, a clever pun with like you can. Like, your name is perfect. That title you have for this podcast is perfect, Standing Room Only. There's not much you can do with Galdi, right? It's, it's kind of, you know, unique in that way. So I said, yeah, just keep it simple. Don't overthink it. Well, it's so sad. I never, I mean, for all the years I was doing, I had like fantasy football teams. I never even thought about it, but I was like, you know, Zach Lowe's podcast, you know, the low post. I was like, oh, God, I wish I could figure out something like that. And then one day I was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, why don't we do that? And uh, yeah, so that kind of worked out um, for sure. Uh, we're not going to recap the game per se, but just since you're here and I haven't talked to you since the game, just give me your broad overview from a couple days out. What, uh, How'd you feel about it? Yeah, so I've talked about this on my podcast. I was never that hung up in, like, the commanders have to blow out the Cardinals or else. I, I thought that that was kind of an overrated thing. Like, yes, I would have loved for Washington to have won in blowout fashion. But I, I think we know enough about the NFL to know that what you see in week one so often doesn't mean much for what you're going to see moving forward. So, had the Commanders won the game 42-10, would have been tremendous. We would have all been celebrating that. But it wouldn't have guaranteed anything moving forward. Just like I don't think that winning the game 2016 necessarily means anything moving forward. Obviously, there's a lot of work for this offense to do. But I think we kind of knew that going into the season. 
I think it matters so much more where the offense is, you know, a month from now, two months from now, three months from now, as opposed to where it's at now. And, you know, just in thinking about week ones in recent Washington history, like last year's week one, Carson Wentz had four touchdown passes. The defense wasn't that good. And we said to ourselves, wow, this team has a big boy passing offense and maybe the defense is going to be a problem again. And instead, of course, the exact opposite ended up being the case. Week one ended up not being in any way an accurate reflection of what was to come. If you go through some of the double-digit loss seasons for Washington over the last decade or so, there have been week one wins and end up meaning much. Like the first two years under Mike Shanahan, 2010-2011, Washington won in week one of each of those seasons. It mean much. The team ended up losing uh, in uh, double-digit territory each year. So I, I just think you got to kind of accept the win. You know, like a man you know well, the uh, former Wizards head coach Eddie Jordan said years ago, harvest your nuts. That's what you're trying to do in September. And then as the season goes on, I think you really can figure out what you have in a team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, look, last year Carson Wentz at first game, like, okay, he, this is why they got this guy. Big arm, aggressive. They could put up some points, and then, yes, it completely went the other way. Um, yeah, you know, it is just hard for me to like, as I, you know, I'm so in the weeds on on all these on all this team, and so inside the bubble that it's almost like hard for me to get true perspective. And I think my biggest takeaway on some level was based on one game, the things I was worried about, I'm still worried about, and I'm not saying that there's not pauses. Obviously, the defensive line was what you wanted and then more i think they were much more uh in in command no pun intended of the game than at times they were last year even when they were rated as high as they were um but you know between the offensive line the linebackers the tight end and just sam howell's inexperience i I think those things stood out so at least from the perspective of thinking you know what you were seeing over the course of the summer that played out and now we'll see how they improve on that yeah definitely um i think that this team and and i've I've felt this way for a few years now like if you are assessing the roster objectively i feel like it has a middle of the pack roster in the nfl like it's not a great roster but it's also not like some wretched roster and so The team has existed in this like middle class of the league for a few years now, where if, you know, a few bounces of the ball go your way and you have some good injury luck, the team can win, you know, nine or 10 games. If things do not go your way in terms of injuries and you have some bad, say, turnover luck, uh, things can, you know, go poorly and you end up going, say, seven and 10, something along those lines. And I think that's how a lot of people felt about the team once again going into this season. And I think that's where we're at right now. Uh, I think the two things that are going to dictate this season beyond, you know, something obvious like injury luck is the quarterback and the offensive line. We all we all thought that coming into this year and we saw those things uh, be issues on Sunday afternoon. But there were good things, too. I mean, you know, Sam Howell was very mixed. It was, I thought, in some ways, a performance that is what you would have expected. I think if that's the worst that we see of him, then. I think that's fine. You know, again, the idea is, is he getting better as the season goes on? The Sam Howell who we saw in week one was fine enough to win. That's not the Sam Howell who we need to have in week five, week eight, week 10. So, you know, it is imperative that he gets better. But, you know, I thought that there was enough to sort of cling to and say to yourself, all right, uh, not where you want to finish. But if that's where you are now, if that's a baseline, you can work with that. 
And, you know, even with the offensive line, it's interesting in real time watching the game, right? You don't want to, we all want to strangle the offensive line because we're like, oh, this thing is trash and it's not good. And now as we've gotten away from the game, you know, I think it's pretty clear, like the line wasn't great, but I don't think that it was as bad as people think. And, and as, as you sort of assess the six sacks, I know you have a piece on that on The Athletic. It, it was mixed. I mean, it was funny to me, three of the four highest graded commanders offensive players for the game for pro football focus were offensive linemen. Not that PFF is gospel, but I think that does speak to it's never as bad as you think. It's obviously never as good as you think. Ron said that in his presser on Monday afternoon. I think there's some truth to that with the offensive line. Yeah, no, uh, no, no doubt. You And uh, you had um, <clears throat> Charles Leno, Cole Turner. Oh, sorry, Charles Leno, Sam Cosby, Andrew Wiley, to your point with Cole Turner in there as well, were the highest rated Washington offensive players. Uh, Sam Cosby was the highest rated guard, I believe, uh, at least in pass protection of the whole for everybody. And uh, and he was fourth among all linemen. So, um, yeah, some, some positives. But, I, you know, I think my thing has been all along, if we're if we're hoping the offensive line is good enough, that is just by definition the problem when you have the inexperienced quarterback. Uh, you know, uh, you know if you had a, a seasoned quarterback, Kirk Cousins, Alex Smith, just to name guys that were here, that might be different. But that's where it's like you know, I, I mentioned the term dereliction of duty the other day. I actually said almost dereliction of duty for people that were yelling at me. But it's almost like you know you you, you knew in January this was your plan. And they did sign two free agents, but, you know, it just kind of felt maybe they needed to do a little bit more there. Yeah, I mean, I go back to the first two years of Ron, 2020 and 2021. And in each season, the offensive line ended up being a surprising strength, especially in that 2021 season. And that's been my hope for this year that, yeah, I mean, on paper, you're not overwhelmed. And, yeah, when you go back through the offseason and you see what the team did, you know, you're not floored with these additions, but that doesn't mean that the offensive line can't be significantly better. Uh, we have seen this with offensive lines. It's not about necessarily how much money you're spending. It's about how the thing works in how the thing works as a unit, you know, how good the coaching is, et cetera. Um, but I, I think there is a realistic upside with the line that is concerning because, you know, if your best case scenario realistically is that the line is decent, you know, that's not what you're aiming for, right? You're, you want excellence. And uh, I don't I don't think that we're going to be getting that. The idea would be, do you go from having, say, a bottom fifth of the NFL offensive line last year to a middle of the pack line this year? Is that possible? Is that doable? I think it is. I don't know how likely that is, but I do think uh, that you could have that. Um, but, you know, you go like piece by piece on the line. There, there are questions at every spot. And, you know, if you start dealing with offensive line injury, which we know that this team has in recent years, I think the depth is a concern. Um, but, you know, I, I, I've thought a lot about the line, too, because I know it's, it's been brought up Well, the team hasn't spent a first round pick on an offensive lineman since Brandon Sheriff in 2015. And that that does sort of wow you. And you're like, well, if, if the line is constantly a question, why hasn't the team done that? But again, I do come back to and I mean, you know, this in covering the team in the league. So many of the good offensive linemen aren't first-round picks. And so if you know what you're doing from a player personnel standpoint, you can get good offensive line play on day twos and day threes of drafts, and you can get good offensive linemen 
on the relative cheap in free agency. This regime has done that with guys like Cornelius Lucas and Wes Schweitzer. So, you know, is that kind of magic here with guys like Nick Gates and Andrew Wiley? That would be the hope. But I don't blame anyone for uh, not being supremely confident in uh, this line right now. I think there's a lot to be proven. Well, and the group that always says never spend high money or picks on a guard uh, because you can find them anywhere. Okay, well, just remember what happened last year with Andrew Norwell and Trey Turner, and we'll see what happens. Hopefully Sam Cosme and Sadiq Charles are healthy and make it through the year, but we'll see. Um, speaking of of the guard, I, anybody who's, who's listened to me over the years knows I love the roster minutia. The, talking about the Wizards' 15th man uh, was always endlessly fascinating, even if that guy never played. I thought one thing was interesting with the the inactives on Sunday was that they had Chris Paul inactive and they kept up Tyler Larson. Now, on the surface, that makes a lot of sense in that Tyler Larson has played in the league a lot. He was really successful. The team was successful with him at center last year. And Ricky Stromberg, they saw, could play some guard enough to make him the backup guard. And he ended up, ended up playing three snaps when Cosme was getting checked out for a concussion. But at the same time, if Chris Paul was as close to starting as people seem to suggest, or the way they were discussing a competition, you would think he would be up. You know, wouldn't need Stromberg in that case because you have Tyler Larson at center. So it sort of says to me, this is just a guess, that if somehow Charles or Cosme were out, I think Stromberg might be the next guy up. Because why else would you then sit Chris Paul as the backup guard? I think that's a perfectly reasonable conclusion to arrive at. I mean, something that really stood out in the closing days of the preseason was how much Ron Rivera was raving about Ricky Stromberg. And it's like they started working, working him out at guard and that like set off a light bulb above Ron's head. And he just became like the biggest Ricky Stromberg fan. It, it reminded me of, of the way like Jay Gruden used to sing the praises of Samaj Pirine when uh, we found out that Jay wanted to cut Adrian Peterson and it all made <laughs> it all made sense after the fact. Rod really was touting Ricky Stromberg in the closing days of the preseason. So I guess it's not that surprising that we saw what we saw uh, on Sunday afternoon in terms of the inactives. I also think this with the left guard competition, like, yes, it was a competition, but it did start to remind me of the quarterback, quote-unquote, competition in that the the coaching staff pretty clearly wanted Sadiq Charles to be the starting left guard. And, you know, despite him being injured again, he was put out there, especially as the preseason went on. You know, he ends up being the starting left guard. There was never really, like, an official declaration of that. It was just kind of like, yeah, he won the competition. And that's fine. I mean, I think that there is an upside with Charles. But I think this staff really wants Sadiq Charles to be that guy at left guard. And um, so I, I don't, I, you know, I don't know that that, I, I think that perhaps speaks to them seeing limitations with Chris Paul. But, you know, with Charles, look, he's been hurt so much. You've got to think that you're not going to go 17 for 17 with him in, in terms of him playing. So, you know, with Stromberg, if they just started working him at guard a few weeks ago, I hope that they are prepared for the possibility of him having to step in at left guard. Now, he played guard in college. He ended up being a full-time center as time went on, but he has played guard. Uh, but, yeah, you, you do think about, like, the competition, and it's like, well, why wasn't Stromberg a part of that left guard competition if he ends up being the uh, LG2 uh, to begin the season? And I swear I didn't dream this, but at some point over the last months after they drafted him, the uh, Rivera, I believe, said they were only looking at Stromberg as a center at that point, which seems weird in real time because you're like, well, you have Gates and Larson. 
you're gonna have three centers. Like you gotta say, you can't have a center who's not playing another spot. Then eventually, like, during the Ravens week, they did try Stromberg out there, and now here we are. So yeah, it was kind of odd. I mean, I get the idea of like wanting the kid to learn a position, but guard would be the more immediate. And on the other side of the ball, you have Quan Martin um, playing, learning a bunch of different spots instead of just saying, "Here, you're the slot corner. Learn that one." And I'm wondering how much that maybe slowed him up um, a little bit. Um, Here's another – let's switch to running backs. This is another interesting one. Um, Brian Robinson ends up dominating snaps, basically. And the wonder is – we didn't – don't think we asked Rivera about this directly, and I don't know what he would have told us anyway. But obviously, Antonio Gibson fumbles the ball. And Rivera is like, hey, you know, not 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 thrilled about that as as obvious. And considering Gibson's history uh, of fumbling, you're like, oh boy, here we go again. I wonder how much of that was led to him not playing as much, um, or if in fact, you know, Robinson because he's not only a runner but he's shown he can catch passes. If this is going to be more of of what's to come from the from a breakdown, just to be clear, Robinson played sixty one percent of the snaps. Gibson, 35%. Well, and the other thing that jumped out, and I know he didn't end up playing a ton in the game, but third snap of the game, Chris Rodriguez Jr. got the short yardage carry. I thought that that was notable, that that early in the game, you go to the guy who is perceived as the third running back on the team. You know, it... Wait, it, it by the way, on Rodriguez, did you notice he played three plays, and on all plays, he ran the ball. Yeah, well, that might be a tell. That might be a, a tendency breaker that the team has to uh, yeah, deal with that's later in the year. Yeah. You know, it, 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 with, with Gibson, I, I think there is a growing frustration, not so much with the fumbling, because we know the deal with the fumbling. Although, you know, in fairness to him, 2021 was really bad from a fumbling standpoint. His rookie season and last season were not bad in that regard. So hopefully what happened on Sunday afternoon was just an isolated incident. But you know, this is obviously year four for Antonio Gibson with the team. This is a contract season for Antonio Gibson with the team. And what has become an offseason tradition is the talking up of Antonio Gibson being a bigger factor. You know, he's going to be more of a pass catcher. He's going to be more involved in the offense. We're going to get him involved uh, in space more. I'm raising um, my hand on that one. I, I definitely <laughs> thought with the enemy coming into Gibson in particular would be a guy who would benefit a lot from uh, this. We, yeah, and we've all done it. I mean, two years ago, the conversation was Antonio Gibson is going to be Washington's version of Christian McCaffrey. And it, it just has not materialized. And, you know, we're one game into the season, so I'm not going to just say that it can't materialize this season. There's so much season to go. If Brian Robinson Jr. gets injured, you know, all bets are off in terms of running back usage. But I, I think at some point it's like we got to see it, and we haven't seen it. And it's not that Gibson has been a bad player for Washington. But when he got taken in the third round of the 2020 draft, there was a real excitement with that. I know that I was excited. And, you know, the idea was you have this modern offensive weapon, you know, a receiver slash running back. And it just hasn't come to be like he's been more of a back than a pass catcher. And his work as a back has been mixed. If you look at some of the advanced stuff, it hasn't been overly impressive in terms of getting the yards that are blocked for him. Mentioned the fumbling issue of a few years ago. Perhaps that's back to being an issue this year. I don't know. Uh, it feels like Robinson is the guy this coaching staff likes the most. And like I said, as much talk as there is with Gibson, we, we never seem to see the production from him that is talked about. But also, we don't 
seem to see the utilizing of him as is talked about. Um, for all of the talk this past offseason about what the enemy could mean for Gibson, we didn't come close to seeing that on Sunday. Right. The screen pass that looked like he got the first down late in the game, but didn't like that's the type of play, you know, you think you're going to get more of out of him. And I know in talking to people out there, I think there is a feeling that, you know, for his body, for his skill set, he has not been util in, in over the last couple of years was just not utilized in an appropriate way, get him in space and all that stuff. And it is only game one. So we'll have to see what, what happens going forward in terms of some of that. But yeah, it was curious for, um, for sure. This is we tell me if this is a t- too tin foily for you in the preseason. We know that teams do not show what they're going to do in the real games because you know, they don't want to give away the, give away the plan. Is it possible that, even for week one that Eric Bieniemy dialed it back enough because it was the Arizona Cardinals. And this was a team that, again, when we say they're not, they're not trying to win. We don't mean the players. We mean the organizational setup that does things like cut the guy you think is going to start a quarterback and bring in a guy who hadn't been with the team. Like, do we think there's any chance that Bieniemy held enough because he didn't think maybe we needed to use it all in that game? Yeah, no, I, I think that's entirely possible. I mean, I think that that's a dangerous way to go. Given right, I, that, right. You know, the commanders are not exactly overwhelming offensively, so I think you got to do what you need to do to win. But no, I, I think that that's entirely possible. What I also think is uh, true, or at least possible, is that, you know, you're trying to figure a lot of stuff out. Like, you're, you're starting a regular season. You're new to the team. This is a new offense for the team. You have a quarterback who had made – one regular season start prior uh, to this game on Sunday. You're trying to see what works. And so maybe there was some experimentation. I mean, watching the game, we did see a good bit of traditional drop back from Sam Howell, even though, you know, we have the protection concerns right now. And we have uh, Sam being a young quarterback. And I wonder if some of that was Eric just trying to test things out and see what Sam can handle. I mean, we saw an aggressive offensive approach in the first half, 29 passing plays, versus nine running plays. I like that. But I, I think some of that was Eric Bieniemy trying to see what Sam Howell can handle. And, you know, if Sam can handle that, then I think we're going to see more of that. But as the season goes on, you might see things be adjusted. So um, I, I think that could be in play too. It, it's funny with the preseason now, right? Because so many teams don't play key players in preseasons. And so while you can't say that like week one, week two are pseudo preseason weeks, you are seeing some stuff happen that you used to see happen in preseasons. You know, you're feeling out your talent. You're feeling out what you can and can't do, what you can and can't get away with. And so I think that that could be a part of uh, what went down offensively on Sunday. Yeah, for 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 sure. I mean, um, weird stuff happened around the league as we saw, you know, the top three teams in the AFC all lost. Um, you know, and certainly Buffalo and Cincinnati had underwhelming offensive performances uh for sure um i i I've started this new game i meant to tell you before we started but i started this new game i'm gonna indoctrinate you here i don't have a name for this game i, I gotta stop saying i don't have a name or that's gonna become the name but uh basically i take instead of just saying do you like this better than that we're gonna add a point spread element to it so for example tom brady versus peyton manning you can't just say tom brady's better you gotta say tom brady minus five Got it. Okay. 
All right. So as a way to talk about some other guys on this team, who do you think is ultimately going to be more indispensable for this team for the rest of the year? Cam Curl, who had a pretty good opener, as we saw, or Charles Leno at left tackle. So from a point spread on who is more indispensable for this team this year, what what's your line on Curl versus Leno? So I would go with Cam Curl minus four. Um, I was tempted to say Leno because of the lack of offensive line depth, but the team does have Cornelius Lucas. He has shown an ability to play well. And so I would like to think that if Leno got hurt and remember Leno never gets hurt. Okay. So this would be like, you know, hell freezing over. But uh, if Leno gets hurt, I would like to think that Lucas could step in. We remember what happened uh, last year when Cam Curl was out. Uh, Things did not go so well for the team. And I think it's always dangerous to play that game of, when this guy plays, the record is X. When this guy doesn't play, the record is Y. Because associating a player with a team's record can be very misleading. But you're saying I think like when, was... when we tell Tyler Larson at six one and one as yeah. a starter. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, there was the same thing with Brandon Sheriff a few years ago. Of when Brandon Sheriff plays, this team's record is so good. And listen, it's not like that's totally meaningless. But I think you got to be careful with uh, you know causation versus correlation. But that said. Cam Curl is really good. He's the best safety on the team. You could argue he's the best defensive back on the team. I actually think that that's an interesting conversation. But you lose him, and I do think that your defense really is missing something on the back end. So it's not an easy call, uh, but I would say Cam Curl is the favorite. I, I I asked this one because I wasn't sure how to answer it myself. I, and I'm with you that Leno doesn't get hurt. I And not that he's you know Jacoby or Lachey or anything like that. But because the offensive line is got a lot of questions elsewhere, I just feel like he's the closest thing they have to a stable piece. And Lucas is fine, but only, I think, for, for stretches. So I, I think I'll go Leno minus one, even though everything you said about Curl is 100% accurate. At least they have Percy Butler. And Quan Martin, at least, was a second-round pick. Obviously, he's still developing, and Jeremy Reese can play. At least I feel like they have options. I like their backup options there better than I do on the line but it's a it's a close call this is why i ask you the tough questions all right now this one's important hulk hogan versus macho man savage don't let me down al Ah, you can define this however you want this is your wheelhouse you have all the information history historian and all that what's the line well, it depends really on what you're talking about. So if you're talking about drawing power, it's Hulk Hogan minus seven, let's say. Because Hogan is one of the biggest draws in the history of pro wrestling. And one of the really remarkable things about Hogan is that he was a massive draw over really two different periods. In the 80s, in the WWF as like, you know, the cartoon babyface good guy. And then in the 90s in WCW, uh, as a heel, as a bad guy with the NWO. Very few guys can say something like that. However, if you're talking about actual in-ring work, if you're talking about actual influence on the wrestlers of today, the answer is Randy Savage. Uh, and it's Randy Savage by, I don't know, nine or ten. Like, Savage was outstanding in the ring. And he was such a unique personality with the voice and the promos that he's someone who is really his uh, his legend has grown over time. He died in 2011, and so I think that's part of it. Hulk is still alive. Uh, but Savage is someone who was so good, 
He has become like immortalized now on Twitter and on YouTube. And in the ring, this guy was doing stuff that so few people were doing. Savage at his peak in the WWF really stood out because in the 80s in the WWF, it was all about just being big and bulky. And so you had all these steroided up guys who really weren't that good, that athletic in the ring. Savage was. And so he had these matches that blew away most of the other matches on the shows that he was on. And he ended up having a really good run in the WWF in the 80s and early 90s. And then actually had a good run, too, in WCW in the 90s. So it kind of depends on what you're talking about. Hogan is one of the biggest stars in the history of the business, maybe the biggest star. But in terms of what the guy could do in the ring, in terms of what the guy was as a performer, uh, Savage is really an all-time great. I mean, yeah, it, it's almost like when people say like Dominique Wilkins is their favorite dunker. It's not that it's even a wrong answer. It's that, well, obviously people are going to say Jordan, right? But it's like, it's too easy. So look, but just to be clear, I would do the Brandy Savage. Uh, I'm going to try. My voice is still not right. But I, all yeah. I kept thinking as you were talking, I was like, you know, oh, yeah. Like, I mean, like I, I'm Savage is easily my favorite. I, I don't watch wrestling anymore really so i can't even discuss the the rock or whoever else you want to say more modern but savage was the was the guy even though as you said hogan clearly the box office draw of all box office draws yeah it's interesting with those two because they worked together a ton they had a major falling out at one point savage actually blamed hogan for savage's divorce from miss elizabeth they were married in real life and then ended up getting divorced and then they actually made peace uh later on in life uh but yeah savage the the voice by itself is iconic i mean the slim jim commercials that he used to do are still something that people talk about today so uh, he was great. A former minor league baseball player, by the way, Randy Poffo in the uh, St. Louis Cardinals organization many years ago. And his brother, Leaping Lanny Poffo. Yeah, and he passed away not long ago. So, yeah. Unfortunately, when we talk about old wrestlers, that tends to be the uh, <laughs> I know. the way it's things terrible. go. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, back to the uh, to, to the business at, at, at hand. Uh, I'm not even sure what I'm asking here, but we'll just try this anyway. For this game against Denver, which coordinator do you think needs to be on the top of his game the most, Jack Del Rio or Eric Bieniemy as a point spread? Oh, I think it's Bieniemy, um, and I would go Bieniemy minus seven. Um, look, I don't want to assume anything because I think that's where you get in real trouble in the NFL, but I think the commander's defense is good. I think we all expected that going into this season. And I think with Jack Del Rio, you have now a guy in place, fourth season, a system, a program in place. So many of the key commanders, defensive players are guys who have been on the team for multiple seasons. I think you kind of know what you are. You know what you do. You know, we'll see what happens, obviously, with the Broncos offensively this season. You know, I'm not necessarily convinced that Russell Wilson is done done, but the offensive results for them in their week one loss to the Raiders were not overwhelming. I would think that this could be yet another game in which the commander's defense does well. I think the offense really is right now, you know, it's this evolving thing. You have people and parts getting used to each other. You're trying to figure out exactly what you are. I think there could be some real variance with the offense early in the season. Now, of course, opposing defense is going to play a big part in all of this. But I would not be surprised if maybe some weeks we see the offense look pretty good 
And then other weeks, the offense, not so good. You know, that there could be an erratic nature to all of this. Because I think we all get to deal with the commander's offense. There is talent. Uh, the quarterback is capable. I think we've seen enough of Sam to at least be able to say that. Like what we saw on Sunday, his good was, actually was pretty good. It's just that you had some real bad in there that needs to get, get cleaned up. But if you happen to have a game in which the good outweighs the bad and, you know, the, the good comes to the fore in a way that the bad does not, you know, you could see Sam Howell have a big game early in the year. The question is going to be what happens the next week and the week after that, you know, it, it, uh, how much of a high variance quarterback you are, I think says a lot about you as a quarterback, but with the enemy, I mean, this is only be obviously a second game uh, in terms of the regular season with the commanders and there still is a lot for this offense to try to figure out. So I, I think the onus is on him. So look, obviously I think you're making a lot of, a lot of sense and you need the offense to be on their P's and Q's better than they were in this game to get past your Denver team. That's, you know, they lost their opener, but they, you know, obviously they've got a good pieces on both sides of the ball. Sean Payton's a new coach. Um, they're at home. This is for them. They're going to be there bringing back their alumni this week. So there's all that kind of stuff going on. But I think I'm going to go with Del Rio minus two. And the reason I say that is if the if the defense takes any kind of step back, then they could be in real trouble because the offense is going to have to, as you said, to go through some growing pains to find their level. The defense, you know, uh, we saw that with the Jets on Monday night. We saw that with Washington in their game. The defense is going to have to be at a really high level for them to at least have a chance to win most of these games initially until the offense gets going. And that's why, like, from a game plan perspective or just getting them ready, motivated, calling the right defensive plays, whatever, I, I think, the for me, Del Rio, because he ha there's more responsibility on him right now to have his side of the ball thrive because otherwise, you know, we're, 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 uh, we're looking at a bad situation. So I don't disagree with you. I'm just going to say Del Rio because I just think that they have got to stay at that high level. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that if you look at all 32 NFL teams, no defense has more of an onus to lead the way, at least right now, than the commander's defense has because of, you know, what we've talked about with the offense. I think it's so tricky, though, in the modern NFL to be a defensively led team, you know, because I think it's never been harder to play good defense. I, I think the days of, like, great dominant defense – I don't want to say that they're completely done because nothing's absolute, but, you know, I, I think we really have to recalibrate, like, what is great defense? I think what is great defense in 2023 is so much different than what was great defense in 1993. Even the really good defenses now give stuff up, and I think that's part of the danger of this, of, like, the commander's defense this season could be really good, but being really good could still mean that there are some bad games or that you give some stuff up. Like, you're not going to hold every team to 10 points or less. That's just not the way that the league is now. And so I do I do worry about that, that, you know, the commander's defense could be good, but still give up, say, you know, 21 points in a game. Like, that could happen. And is the offense going to be capable enough uh, to at least shoulder a portion of the load and, and to be decent? Um, the, the whole thing about the formula and winning games 13-10, 17-13, it sounds great, but it's an antiquated approach, as we know, and I think it's becoming an increasingly difficult approach to employ again because playing defense in the NFL right now is, is tough. Al, you once again have provided the insight and the energy that people have come to know and respect and why I wanted to do a home and home with you. Uh, make sure you listen to Al, of course, on the 
Al Galdi podcast. Uh, the uh, I'll be on there with him next week. Anything to mention about you, what you've got going on? Any any uh, big guests? You talk about all the teams. My Orioles are they are they going to win the World Series? I mean, you know, what, whatever else you got here. Yeah, well, winning the World Series would be nice. Uh, the concern is the bullpen because our guy Felix Batista is out with his right UCL injury. Could pitch again this season. Mike Elias said that on Monday afternoon, although I don't know how likely that is. But, man, the Orioles have been hitting like crazy lately. And uh, if you are an Orioles fan, I don't know how you're just not thrilled with what has happened over the last year plus. And, you know, I know a lot of people are combo commanders Orioles fans because if you're like you and me and you grew up, you know, 80s, 90s, you had the Skins and you had the O's. I mean, those were the NFL and baseball teams of the Washington, D.C. area where the Nats came in 05. And so um, it's been pretty exciting having the sale of the Commanders and the rise of the Orioles. And hopefully we at some point get the sale of the O's, too. Uh, that would be nice. But, yeah, in terms of my podcast, uh, I for Wednesday's show, I'm going to have a conversation with uh, a guy who I know you know, Mark Bullock, a Commanders analyst, does a great job. Uh, doing film breakdowns on his Substack, So lots of good stuff on Sam Howell and on the offensive line. Uh, talk commanders on every show, no matter uh, the time of year. And uh, have a new show uh, each weekday morning, Monday through Friday, with uh, each episode uh, out early in the morning. We call those hours the Ben Standing Hours. That's usually when Ben is coming home from who knows what. So just so people know that. Uh, back, 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 back in the day, I've now hit, <laughs> I've hit, hit now a certain age where that does not yeah. as appealing. And by the way, one of my favorite thing right now about the Orioles, I'm not going to, I mean, I'm a fan, but I'm not going to pretend I'm watching all the time. I've sort of lost base, my love with baseball a bit. But all my friends that went from what you just said, being Orioles fans growing up here, and then when they switched over to the Nats, they were gleeful about it. They kept telling me, oh, Orioles, terrible. Now they're all slowly crawling back. Oh, the Orioles, I've been watching more. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I kept receipts. You out. You cannot come back. I think it is such a unique dynamic in the D.C. area <laughs> in terms of baseball, because if you are right now in like your mid 30s, 40s or 50s, there's a really good chance that you grew up as an Orioles fan. All you knew was the O's. You never knew the Senators, and by the time the Nats came, you were already pretty well entrenched as an O's fan, and so the O's are your team. And so we in the Washington, D.C. area have this very unique thing of, of course, we have a team, the Nationals, but we have a lot of people who are Orioles fans. I live in Montgomery County, Maryland. I see as much O's fans. I see as much O's gear in Montgomery County, Maryland as I see Nats gear. And it's just it's because of the history here. It's because there was no baseball team in D.C. from 1972 through 2004. That's a long stretch of time. And uh, people gravitated toward the O's. I mean, you know, the deal, the post in the 80s and 90s covered the O's the way that the post covers the Nats, like the O's were just considered the team of D.C. And I know not everyone adopted the O's. And I get that if you didn't. But a lot of people uh, grew up with the O's as their team and uh, haven't left that. And that's why they put can you know I mean, obviously the Camden Yard structure is so unique, but that's why they just wanted to move the, the 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 stadium from deep in Baltimore too close to 95, so the people in DC could get there, and that led to the mass and thing and blah blah blah. Um, all right, Al, you rule. Uh, go listen to Al as always, and uh, I look forward to talking next week. Yeah, man. Thank you very much.
Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.